This is the Cine Snob Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to bonus episode number 18 of the Cine Snob Podcast. My name is Cody Viafania. Uh, there's no regular Cine Snob Podcast show this week because I am at Sundance. Um, this is day, I think, four uh, of the festival, and it's been really great so far. The at-home experience has been awesome. And um, I look forward to coming back on the show and talking a little bit about um, some of the best stuff that I saw. Um, but the reason um, why we're recording this intro today is to introduce uh, an interview um, that I did a few days ago uh, with one of my personal favorite film directors, Edgar Wright. So it's no secret I've been a big fan of Edgar Wright for a long time. Um, obviously, the Cornetto trilogy is incredible, but I also really love Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And... Um, and I think he's just a brilliant, brilliant director. And um, he is at Sundance this year with uh, his first ever documentary film. Um, and it's a documentary about the band Sparks. I don't know if anyone out there has ever heard of Sparks. Uh, they are a um, like a sort of like a pop rock band um, that uh, is one of those bands that never quite got their due in America, but were kind of big in the UK and overseas. And... Um, are kind of a bit of an enigma band, a very influential band, and uh, they've been around for 50 years, and um, and Edgar Wright uh, made a documentary about uh, the band and their story and, um, and their, you know, persistence and, and a lot of good stuff, uh, which is uh, just premiered at Sundance yesterday um, as of this recording. Um, so I had the chance to sit down over Zoom with Edgar and talk about the documentary, um, the band Sparks, what drove him to make the film, um, and, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, uh, there's a mention at the end of the, uh, of the interview of Edgar has this sparks for beginners Spotify playlist, which I highly recommend. I actually just got into sparks myself over the past couple of weeks preparing for the interview. And I really love the band. Um, I recommend kimono. My house is a great album, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just uh, really kind of relish the opportunity to speak to Edgar and especially surrounding my first ever Sundance Film Festival. It's been a really great experience. So uh, take a watch or a listen, and I uh, hope you enjoy my interview with Edgar Wright. So uh, I, I just kind of wanted to start off and um, and ask you, you know, as, as uh, you know, being a big music fan, I'm sure there were countless bands that you could have uh, made a film about. Um, what is it about your personal connection to Sparks or the story of Sparks that uh, really drove you to make this film? Well, I think it was something where um, it wasn't like I necessarily had kind of thought actively about doing a documentary or like picking like a band to do a documentary about. It sort of came about in a weird way because I had been a Sparks fan for a long time. And I think maybe my fandom had got like sort of you know bigger in a way just because I was kind of as I'd known them since I was five years old they'd always been a bit of an enigmatic riddle to me in terms of they kept coming back into my life life in like different guises doing different genres so you know and especially in a pre-internet age I would be always like sort of impressed and amused but kind of baffled by them it's like who is this band that keep changing their sound and like and and are still going after decades and decades? And then I think as I then in like the last twenty years, especially since the release of Little Beethoven, I was just like endlessly impressed by the fact that unlike any other band that have been going as long as they have, 
they seem to be getting better or certainly like they never were like dumbing down. They were always pushing for something kind of more or getting more ambitious. And it was just sort of highly unusual to me. So I guess in a way I had a lot of questions just as a fan. And then I found myself like when you're a Sparks fan, you start to become like an evangelist in the sense that you kind of like always trying to turn other people onto Sparks. <laughs> especially when they mention a band who have been influenced by Sparks. Um, and then it's like, oh, wow, if you like them, you'll love Sparks. So then I got it into my head, and this is probably around the time that I actually met Ron and Russell, where I would be saying to my friends, you know, this band deserves to be bigger than they actually are, or more people need to know who they are. And like maybe like if there was only a documentary about them, like, you know, then everybody could see how ahead of the curve they were and like how influential they'd been. And uh, I started to sort of say that they were like the, the, the best and most influential band to not have a music documentary about them. Now, eventually, um, one of my friends called me out on this. Like I went to see a Sparks gig in 2017 with Phil Lord, the director. And I was saying the same thing to him as saying, the only thing stopping this band from being as big as they can be is a documentary somebody needs to make a film about sparks and phil said you should do it and i said i will <laughs> and then after the gig i pitched the idea to ronald russell and as soon as i'd said it out loud i realized that was a, a verbal contract a promise that could not be broken so like maybe like three years later here we are with the finished film i mean in a weird way it's that thing it was more of a succinct way of me rather than chewing people's ear off at dinner, trying to kind of convince them to listen to Sparks, eventually I thought it would be easier for me to make, you know, a two hour plus film about them and say, here, watch this. <laughs> so, so sort of similar to that, in a lot of documentaries about bands or musicians that are either underrated or underexposed, it, it seems like it would be a challenge to, you know, tell the story of the band, but also contextualize them to an uninformed audience, like about their legacy and also give them an idea of what they sound like if they've never heard them before. So what's the challenge of, of doing that without the ability to like sit someone down and play them a bunch of albums? Well, I feel like maybe, you know, like, um, you know, the film is just over two hours long. And, and part of that is because I wanted to give people, especially Sparks Virgins, the opportunity to actually hear them. I felt like watching, I watch a lot of music documentaries and sometimes not mentioning any names, I kind of get annoyed by some documentaries where they never give you the space to actually hear the song. And maybe you hear like two seconds of it and then immediately the next talking head comes in. There was one in particular recently where I, I won't mention the name of it, but I thought, wow, if you didn't already know these songs, this documentary gives you no opportunity to appreciate it for like even like a second. So with Sparks and with a 50 year career and one that I felt like it was important to contextualize them. And they're a band where the, like the misses are as fascinating as the hits and somehow as important to the story as the hits. I just felt like you had to kind of like let people hear the music and, and see how it develops. So that was a really important thing to me. And I found in the edit that, you know, I think there was a point actually where I'd been editing 
during lockdown and I, I had a cut of the movie. And weirdly enough, I don't know why I keep talking about Phil Lord. But <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the many directors that I showed it to. And he did say, he said, I love the documentary. He goes, it'd be great if you could hear a bit more of the songs. And so I said to the editor, I said, we're going to do a pass where we just like let it breathe a little bit and just hear some of the songs. So, you know, that's the finished thing is that, and, and you know, we're covering, a, you know, like a huge um, discography and that goes, I mean, the first Spark Sam came out 50 years ago this year. So it's an extraordinary like body of work, but also it encompasses so much uh, like time and also just that, the, the great thing about it for me was to show in the documentary who influenced them or rather what influenced them, not just music, but like film and like TV and even advertising and just like pop culture. Then like the music that they make, then you see through the interviewees, the people that are inspired by Sparks and you know what music they make. So it starts to kind of connect a lot of dots for people where they sort of understand, huh, okay, that makes sense because that band sounds a little bit like Sparks and they, you know, I got people on record to sort of say that they like um, were hugely influenced by them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that actually leads into another question I had, which is sort of about, you know, music is obviously really important to your filmmaking, you know, creating soundtracks and needle drops in, in the films themselves. When you have so much material to pull from, from Sparks and also trying to give an idea of the, of the context of the band, was it a different kind of challenge to pick the right songs for the moments in the film? Um, no, not really, because I think sort of they organically came through. They're, they're sort of telling the story themselves. So, you know, like um, you, you might just, it, it's, it's a sort of an embarrassment of riches in a way, but I think ultimately to tell the story of each phase, you know, we pick the kind of the, 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 the key songs from, from each. I, you know, like there might be like a few ones that kind of like don't kind of get their day in court, but for the most part, you know, like um, through telling an album is that you have kind of like the sort of that you can get the shape of the album from the, the, the tracks that we feature, you know, and some that we go into. What's nice also is in, in places to go into great detail about an album track. It just like there's one point where Neil Gaiman does the deep dive on one of the songs from Indiscreet which just because he's so passionate about it, like it might not be the most famous Spark song, but what you get from it is how like um, fervent the fans are and how eloquent they can be talking about a song that they heard in 1975 and has never left their brain. Mm -hmm. in, in sort of on that, uh, on that same path, uh, through either your own exploration or, or talking to people who uh, who you interviewed for this, did you walk away from uh, from this experience with a perspective on either a particular album or period of time for the band that was opened by hearing someone kind of talk about it, sort of like you talked about with with him? Yeah, I think actually, like in doing the documentary, I definitely um, got to know albums that I previously didn't know that well or only listened to a couple of times like um I wasn't as au fait with the first album actually like so my kind of knowledge initially it started more with that kimono my house but I, I I I through doing the documentary there's albums that now I really kind of like sort of grew to sort of love like the first half Nelson the Stroke Sparks album 
or woofer in tweeters clothing or like ones that are like more you know deep cuts in the kind of discography like introducing sparks which you know i think ron and russell when they saw the movie they were dumbfounded to see flea from the red hot chili peppers <laughs> going into great detail talking about probably their least successful album <laughs> so i thought like they found that stuff like fascinating so I mean, definitely there's like songs that I sort of like were, were not among my favorite Spark songs that now are. Like, you know, I think, you know, like fun things like in the documentary, there's a, a great kind of like couple of anecdotes about the song um, music that you can dance to, <laughs> which which now I know the story of the song and how it came to be in, in which a record executive said, uh, hey, yeah, this is great, but can you make some music that you can dance to? And then they did that, like, you know, to the letter, almost as an FU to the executive. <laughs> that makes me love the song even more. Yeah. Um, so there's there's uh, there's a lot of people who would say that this, that uh, Sparks are a bit of a mystery. And I think it's Jason Schwartzman in the documentary who says that there's some level of mystique that he would like to even keep about the band. Uh, did you share any of that? hesitancy to peel back the curtain or um, or did you sense that from Ron and Russell at all? And what ultimately uh, made for comfort with that decision? I think that they, you know, like maybe, I don't think they were hesitant at all because they were really excited about me doing the documentary. But I mean, I feel like to, to me in a way, like if there was any like worry about what happens if you kind of explain the enigma, I think the fact that Ron and Russell um, themselves I think don't really know where sparks end and they start I think is almost like wrapped up in the enigma itself like um so and in a way like sometimes when you kind of reveal like the sort of the everyday lives of rock stars and even maybe the mundanity of it in some respects to me that makes the work even more impressive it's like it's almost like that Albert Einstein thing of him expending zero energy on what he's gonna wear and what he's gonna eat so he can put everything into his work. And I think Sparks are a bit like that as well, is that like the sort of, they lead these relatively normal lives and then, but on record, it's this, the most avant-garde, operatic, cinematic sounding, spectacular, like the music that they make is their sort of like, just their way of expressing themselves. It like it, it, in, in a more pronounced way than most rock stars which I find personally quite fascinating. And then not giving anything away, but um, at the end of the movie, <laughs> in the end credits, no less, we, we decide to kind of like, um, having dispelled some myths about Sparks, we decide to create a whole bunch of other BS, <laughs> which then people can, can work out for the next, like next 50 years, whether that's true or not. Yeah. Uh, um... In terms of uh, cr like creating the film, was this a situation where you were you had access to a bunch of footage and sifted through it to find the best stuff, or was any of this given to you from Ron and Russell? How how did the uh, the compiling of footage come about? It was a bit of everything. We had an amazing archive producer, Kate Griffiths, and so obviously there's a ton of stuff out there from their different TV appearances and like live work and stuff. But Ron and Russell provided some things that had never been seen, like like Russell's um, student film, his French New Wave spoof. But then also we got a lot of stuff from people out there because myself and Sparks on social media put the sort of call out saying, 
you know, we're making this documentary. Do you have any footage or any photos or any stories? And we got a huge response from that. And some of that stuff is in the movie, like stuff that Ron and Russell had never seen, like so, sort of footage from some tour, like the 1976 Big Beat tour that fans took. Or, um, you know, that's how we found, there's a moment in the film where we have this concert footage where there's a lot of female, young female stage invaders, like disrupting the concert. And through the, putting the word out on social media, one of them got in contact with us to tell her story. And I said, hey, we have that gig let's interview her she wrote this amazing email and i said to the producer george hankin i said i said we should get her to tell that story on camera because how that was one of the things with the documentary that was like this amazing gift is like unusually for a band that had been going since the early 70s a lot of the participants are still with us so like so nearly all of the personnel of the first album are in the documentary all of the band like the producer Todd Rundgren, the engineer Jim Lowe, their tour manager at the time, Larry DuPont, who also took all the photos. It's sort of really kind of odd and um, amazing to have access to all of those people still now. And then weird things like, hey, we can interview a fan that jumped on stage like uh, at this 1975 concert, like, and who remembers it in vivid detail and then cross cut with the roadie who pulled her off like stage, who happens to now be the Rolling Stones tour manager. So it, it, it very quickly became like an oral history. And that was really down to sort of like the wide range of people who wanted to talk about it mm -hmm. from famous people to kind of people who were fans at the time and remain fans to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I have time for one more question. So I just, I kind of wanted to, to get your sense of, you know, I, I feel I feel like this movie is going to be an introduction to Sparks for a lot of people. And I, I've also, um, while I was getting into them, found your Sparks for Beginners Spotify playlist, which was also really helpful in, in getting to know them. And I'm wondering um, if, if there's anything that you want people to take away from the film in terms of the legacy of the band, sort of, um, you know, the idea that they they continue to be who they were no matter what. Well, what do you feel like is the is the big takeaway from uh, that you hope people gain, and 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 uh, and also, do you hope to see any sort of like spike in Spotify plays or any kind of bigger uh, footprint for the, for the band in this stage of their career? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm almost. Even though I know Sparks fans are going to love it. I'm actually like even more excited for like people who are Sparks virgins to watch the movie because I think from the reaction I've had already from people who don't know them, they like a sort of kind of agog that there's like a, a whole chapter in musical history that they missed and featuring so many other people that they already like. So I think there's an element with the documentary where I think it will connect the dots for a lot of people. And then I think the takeaway from it is it really is like a story of like, um, you know, um, persistence of vision. The Sparks have sort of never wavered from this kind of um, their ambitions and their artistic vision and their kind of self-belief. And that sort of, I think, is a really inspiring thing because a lot of people who, um, you know, um, follow their dream get easily dissuaded or, you know, there's probably about 10 points in the documentary where I feel like other bands would have jacked it in. And the fact that Sparks just kept on going with this sort of like incredible, like sort of resilience against kind of sometimes total indifference, I, I think is ultimately just like a, a, 
an incredibly admirable and impressive feat. And there's a point where like, if you keep going for that long and doing what you want to do rather than listening to like sort of, um, you know, the kind of the trying to respond to the whims of a mainstream audience, there's a certain point where the audience just catches up with you. Like if you stay that far ahead of the curve, it sort of becomes like the tortoise and the hare. Do you know what I mean? It's like sort of like sparks win the race, you know, a 50 year overnight success. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.